We actually have a fire hazard in the building. Too many people. So climb over them and get a piece of paper. You took too many, man. How many do you need, Drew? You have a lot of readers. All right, Grace. There you go. And I apologize. We're going to put out more tables next Sunday because we're at the bursting at the seams level here. So, um, but yeah. So that's a. Uh, let me just preview for those that weren't here last week what we are doing for this series. Uh, we're doing a series called "Why People" or "Why We Don't Believe," and we're exploring several issues or questions that people have about the Christian faith. If you were to ever talk to someone who's not a Christian and you said, "Hey, why are you not a Christian?" Most people would say, "Well, it's because of this or because of that," and they might say things like, "Well, I don't see how a good God can allow people to go to hell," or "I don't see how a good God can allow people to suffer," or they might say something like. Um, I can't believe in a God who says there's only one way, right? So there are several questions or issues that people will often have if they don't come to faith in Christ. But the other issue is that oftentimes there are many Christians who have the same exact questions, right? They've chosen to follow Jesus in spite of their questions, but they still have those same questions. And so we're doing a series exploring a lot of these questions and and taking them one by one, week to week. And so here's why we're doing this series, because I believe that unbelief is not just something that's outside the church, but unbelief is actually very present in the church. And I think it's present in many of you. I never take for granted that just because you're at church on Sunday morning as a high school kid, that you're a Christian. I never take that for granted. In fact, I pretend, not pretend, I actually know that many of you that come here that might even think you're saved may not be saved. In fact, I would say that many of the people in the church, just across the world, aren't really followers of Christ. They might say they are, but they really aren't followers of Christ. And here's the issue with high school, is that most of you will say right now that you believe Four years from now, when you're being faced with some of these real-life questions, you might walk away from Christ and say, you know what, I don't believe that anymore, or I'm not sure I ever did. And so we're addressing these questions now while you're still in the church. The second reason why we're doing this series is that I think being honest about your doubt can lead to a deeper and a stronger faith. I told you last week about a guy who's in this youth group right now, Anthony Garcia, I think he's over here, and he uh, had some questions a couple years ago. He and I talked about it, uh, worked through some of those things, and as a result, I think his faith sort of took off. And I think for most people, when their faith takes off, it's usually because they went through a season of doubt, and their faith was stronger as a result of it. Now, on the flip side, some people go through doubt, and they never come out of that. And they might actually reject their faith as a result of it. I'm well aware that as a result of this series, some of you might say, you know what, I, I can't believe this. I'm not, I don't want to believe this. That might be you. I pray that it's not, but it might be. The third reason why we're doing this series is we are doing this series to give you guys a greater love for unbelievers. All right? Now, loving unbelievers should not look like stacking up a bunch of Qurans and setting them on fire. Okay? That's not what loving unbelievers looks like, if you've watched the news lately. But 
we're trying to give you guys the tools that you need to discuss your faith, to yeah, defend your faith, but the defense of the faith should not be a boxing match. The defense of the faith should not be like an intellectual boxing match with someone else. It should be a discussion, a dialogue, a way that you show them that you love them. That's what it should look like. So we discussed last week how we, we have a defense for the faith. We also do it with gentleness, with love, with, with mercy, and with grace. Give you guys a greater love for unbelievers. Now, I do want to take, uh, last week we, we took a pause uh, because we were um, short on time. So we took a pause, and I said we would pause the movie last week, and we'd pick it up this week. And I'll pick up there right now, and then we'll kind of carry on into this morning, what we're going to be discussing this morning. Um, my last point last week was this. I want to give you guys a new take on doubt and faith. Now, the first point under that is this. Every doubt is based on a leap of faith. Alright? I'll explain what I mean. So, if you have a friend who says things like, you know, I just can't believe in a God who allows people to suffer. Right? That's their doubt. Now, in their mind, they're moving away from faith and they're moving towards doubt. I want to put forth to you guys this morning that when someone has a doubt like that, even that doubt is rooted in faith. I'll explain what I mean. If someone says something like, I can't believe in a God who allows people to suffer, therefore I'm rejecting Jesus or God, whatever you call him. When someone says that, if you explore the alternative, okay, so you're saying that you, you don't believe in a God who allows people to suffer, so then what, what do you believe then? What are you moving towards if you don't believe this? Then what are you moving towards? That person might say, well, I don't believe in God. I just believe that everything happens by chance. I believe that we evolved. I believe we came from monkeys. I believe there's, there's no such thing as, as God or conscience or morality. I'm going, wait, really? You really believe that? Then, then how would you explain why, why murder is wrong? How do you explain why every person has some sense of morality, some sense of right and wrong? Because what that person is doing, they are now taking their, their new idea that they don't believe in a God who allows suffering. They're taking that new idea, and they're taking that in faith. They've now got a new faith, right? Another example. If someone says, I can't believe Christianity because I can't accept moral absolutes. Everyone should determine truth for himself. Okay, really? Can you prove that? Because here's what faith is. Faith is believing something without being able to prove it. So, can the person prove that, that, that truth is relative? Can they prove that? If not, they're taking that in faith. They're now moving from a place of doubt, a place of, of their own doubt, into another place of faith. Next point. Everyone has faith. Everyone has faith. Even the atheist has faith. You saw last week how the guy on the screen said that he preaches the gospel of I don't know, right? And what he's really doing, though, he might say he doesn't know and that he's agnostic and doesn't really know about God, but he's living his life as if he does know. He's living his life making decisions as if he does know there is no God. That is still a place of faith because he can't prove it either way. That is still a place of faith. Everyone has faith. So we're going to unpack this a little bit more this morning as we discuss one of these big questions. Here's the question we're looking at, or the comment we're looking at this morning. It's this. 
There can't be just one true religion. Alright? So your first two discussion questions are, if someone said the statement to you, how would you respond to them? And then secondly, describe a time when you've heard someone say this. Go ahead and discuss. Okay, what I want you guys to do, listen up, I want, what I want you guys to do is to wrestle just briefly with this statement, how you might have addressed this. How many of you guys have ever had a personal conversation with someone where this was the topic? Okay, a few of you, all right? Uh, it might come later for some of you, but when, when you think about this question, we're going to explore this question the rest of the morning, so um, I want to see how... What you come to later on in today's discussion, how it compares to what you just thought of just now in our discussion this morning. Um, You may have heard someone say a quote like this. How could there be just one true faith? It's arrogant to say your religion is superior and try to convert everyone else to it. Surely all the religions are equally good and valid for meeting the needs of their particular followers. Someone else said this quote. Religious exclusivity is not just narrow, it's dangerous. Religion has led to untold strife, division, and conflict. It may be the greatest enemy of peace in the world. If Christians continue to insist that they have the truth, and if other religions do this as well, the world will never know peace. That's a very relevant statement considering the... uh, uh, events of yesterday with 9-11 being the anniversary of 9-11 and also um, the, uh, what the guy in Florida had planned on doing with a bunch of Qurans, right? Everywhere you look, you, you see strife centered on religion. Even what, what we are, Christians, right? You see crazy people, right? So, um, in fact, uh, a couple of months ago, I was at a a, a dinner with my wife's family, and they had this uncle, this great uncle who is from Alaska. And he came down, he comes down like once every 10 years because you live in Alaska, you really can't travel a whole lot. And so he comes down to see them, and, and I knew that he was um, has a certain kind of faith. It's called the Baha'i faith. Anyone ever heard of the Baha'i faith? Uh, it's basically a mixture of lots of religions. It's really kind of new age. Their belief is basically that all roads lead to God. Uh, you should be a peaceable and a loving person. And if you're a good person, then whatever is after this life, that will come to you. It's real vague and real abstract. But that's what they believe. So he knows that I'm a, a Christian pastor and I work with kids. And so um, he starts discussing with me his faith around the dinner table, which is great for awkward conversation around the holiday time, right? And... Uh, so we're having this discussion, and, and I didn't get into it too much with him, but um, he's been told before what we believe, and he just won't believe it. He just won't have anything to do with, with the Christian faith. But you see that same idea in the culture that surrounds you guys, these ideas that, that all paths lead to God. There can't be just one true religion. There just can't be. And people make these assumptions, but what I'm going to challenge you today is that these assumptions are still based on faith. The assumptions that they're making are still based on faith. 
So the first passage we're going to look at this morning is John chapter 4, uh, John chapter 14, verse 6. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. John 14, verse 6. And this is the verse that people always throw out when they want to say that Christianity or following Christ is the only way. We'll explore this passage and we're also going to turn to 1 John in just a little bit. But John chapter 14, verse 6, here's what it says. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there are many people in our world that have a a big problem with this statement. In fact, some people say things like, you know, Christians are so arrogant. They think their way is the only way. You see, the only problem with that statement is that Christians didn't say it. Christians didn't say John 14.6. Jesus did. If you have a Bible that has red and black writing, it's in red. Jesus said it. Christians didn't say, it's not like Christians said, you know what, we determined that Christianity is the one true religion. We put our stamp of approval on that statement. It's, it's the only correct way to go. Jesus is the one that said that. And so if someone has a problem with that, I have to step back and go, you know, I didn't say that statement. I just believe that Jesus did. I believe that Jesus said that statement. And some might say, well, well, let me ask you this. How can a loving God, how can a loving God allow only one way to himself? I mean, that just seems like unloving, right? That he would allow only one way to himself. Why would he do that? That's just unloving. But I think the best way to handle that statement is this. Okay, let's explore. Let's explore, okay, what if that were true? What if all religions did lead to God? What if they all were equally valid and equally true? The only problem with that is that the world religions all contradict each other. They do. They all contradict each other. I'll show you this. Buddhism does not believe in a personal God at all. Judaism, Islam, does not believe that Jesus is God. Christianity believes Jesus is God. Hinduism believes in reincarnation. They believe in pantheism, meaning that that God is in everything. They, They believe that the creator and the creation are the same thing. We as Christians believe that there's creation, then there's the creator outside of the creation, and he looks into the creation, he can, he can judge it, he can love the creation, he created the creation, right? That's why it's called the creation. So, here's the deal. They all can't be true, because they all contradict each other at some point. And in my book, that's total confusion. That's total confusion. So if what they're saying is true, that all roads lead to God, that every religion eventually points to God, every religion is valid and true, if that's true, that means our God is a God of total confusion. And that is not a loving God at all. Now, if there is one way, and I believe that there is, then I think a loving God would tell us the truth about that one way. And he has. And it's Jesus. If there is one way, 
that I think God would tell us the truth about that one way, and he's made it very clear. In this verse, the word way means road or path. And so it's not that all roads lead to God. It's that Jesus is that road. It's that Jesus is that path. He is that route to God. So, so if this statement is true, which I believe it is, this is not an arrogant statement to say there's one way to God. It's, it's actually a humble, loving statement. If this statement is true, it actually is said, I think, to us from God out of love. God is saying, I want you to come to me. Here is how you do that. You go through Jesus. It's faith in Jesus, following Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And if any of us have a problem with that truth, the problem is between us and God, not between us and other Christians. Now you might say the statement, uh, okay Dave, but, but what about those who never hear the gospel? What about those people out in the far reaches of the world who never hear about Jesus? You know, I hear that all the time from people, that question. And it's a good question. But what's kind of interesting is that I have been to some of the far reaches of the world. I've been to Zimbabwe, South Africa, Rwanda, Kenya, Texas. Just making sure you're awake, okay. But I've been to some far reaches places of the world. And what's crazy, there are Christians everywhere. There are churches everywhere. When I was in Zimbabwe, I noticed two things. They had a KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken, in Zimbabwe. And they had churches. Lots of churches. Churches just like, not churches, chicken. I just call it, that could sound like we're discussing chicken now. Churches, like people that follow Jesus, that kind of church. But they've got lots of churches. They've got tons of people that worship Jesus, people that follow Jesus. It's always funny with me when Christians say things like, but what about those people way over there in the Far East? And I'm like, where did Christianity begin? It began in the Far East, right? It began in that part of the world. It's a miracle that we're here, that we heard the gospel all the way over here. It's a miracle that we heard about Jesus all the way over here in Texas. So here's what I would say to that question. What about those people who never hear about Jesus? I would say this. How do we know they haven't? Because God can reveal himself anytime, anywhere, any place to anyone that he chooses. Secondly, God is good. I believe God is good, and I trust him to do what is right and just. I leave that in his hands. Thirdly, I would say this. Romans chapter 1 is really clear. It says that no one is without excuse. Now, we can spend an entire sermon on that, on that passage, but Romans 1 says no one is without excuse. Here's what I think that might mean. I think God has given everyone a critical mind to think about things, to think about life, to think about death, to think about sin, to think about forgiveness. I think God's given everyone a critical mind to use. And that we are to be held accountable, that we are without excuse. Now, if you think about um, you guys and how you guys 
grow up in the faith. Many of you guys are born in a family that, that goes to church and everything. And here's what's interesting. Is that most of you at some point get critical about that faith, right? Most of you at some point start to question and go, is this really true? Is this, is this really the truth, what they're telling me? But then you have this idea that the rest of the world doesn't do that. You have this idea that the rest of the world that grows up, whether it's in Hinduism or Buddhism or Muslim, whatever it is, that you have this idea that they just kind of blindly accept it. Here's what I would say to you. I believe that teenagers, people like you, all over the world, have a critical, rebellious mind. Okay? That you're just bent towards questioning things. And that can be good if you're in a false religion. Okay? That critical mind serves you well. God has given that to you. And so God has revealed to us in Romans 1 that, that no one is without excuse. If they're searching for him, they, they can find him. First John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Here's what it says. It says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. You have three more questions at your tables. The questions are this. This passage says that there's a test to discern false spirits. What is that test? Number four, what world religions or cults would fail that test? Five, this passage describes a second test in verse six. What is that test? Go ahead and discuss. Okay, I want to summarize for you real quick uh, the two tests that we're talking about in this passage. The first test is this. Does someone acknowledge that Jesus Christ came in the flesh? Now you can add to that, do they acknowledge that Jesus Christ is God? That's a really important one too. So do they believe that Jesus Christ is God, and do they believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh? If they don't believe that, False prophet, false spirit at work. The second part of the passage, do they listen to the apostles' authority in Scripture? Are they someone who looks at the Bible and says, eh, I'm not sure I believe that. I think I'll leave that part out. Good chance they're a false prophet, false spirit. So these two things, do they deny the deity of Christ? Do they deny that Jesus Christ came in the flesh as God? And do they deny the apostles' authority in the Bible? 
So all the people that you see on TV that say things like, if you ever watch uh, nerdy television like I do, people that debate and talk about um, controversial issues, and they'll say things like, you know, when, when Paul is talking about you know, certain kinds of sexual sin, he didn't really mean that. He meant this. And so if they splice scripture and say, we, we don't believe what the apostles said in the Bible, there's a false spirit at work. There's some false prophecy at work there. And so you and I live in a world where people question the deity of Christ, and even so-called Christians won't submit themselves to, to the authority of what the apostles say in the Bible. If someone does these two things, there's a false spirit at work, there's a false prophet at work. I want to give you some examples of how this, this false spirit thing plays itself out, I think, in our culture, in our world today. Have you ever heard the statement up on the screen, all major religions are equally valid and basically teach the same thing? I covered this a little bit ago. I'll cover it again. Okay, let's think about this. Okay, what about Branch Davidians? You guys know what those people are? Not too far up the road in Waco, before you were born, um, there was a crazy guy named David Koresh. And he claimed to be, I think, the second coming of Christ or something like that. And had lots of followers at a big compound. And they turned out to be crispy critters when it was all done. They got burned down. Okay? It was a sad, sad story. But this man deceived many people by his lies. Alright, so, so what he was teaching, it wasn't the same thing that you and I teach. Like, like we don't teach that you've got to go get a compound and, and, and lie to people and convince people that they need to stock up weapons because the government's coming after them. You know, we don't believe that. So we don't believe what they believe. They had a pretty extreme cultish religion. Or what about those religions requiring child sacrifice? Is that an equally valid religion? Because that does happen in some parts of the world. Is that just their culture? So, so we can't say that all religions teach the same thing, and they're all equally valid. We just can't say that. Now you might say, okay, well that's the extreme, crazy people religions, Dave. Right? But again, let's look at Buddhism. Let's look at Hinduism. Buddhism does not believe in a personal God. Hinduism believes in reincarnation. Judaism, Islam, does not believe Jesus is God. Christianity believes Jesus is God. So do they all believe the same thing? No. They contradict each other. Let me just lay this out very clearly. If, if two truths contradict each other, they, they really can't both be true. I'll demonstrate this. My son is the ultimate contradiction. He's three years old, and he will do things like this. He'll say, Dad, I want, I want milk. And I'll go get milk out of the fridge. I'll hand it to him, and I'll say, I, I don't want milk. And I'll say, okay, put it back in the fridge. Daddy, I want milk. Okay, here's some milk. Daddy, I don't want milk. All right? And I'm sitting there going, Landon, both of those statements cannot be true at the same time. Otherwise, my head will explode. But really simple philosophy right here. Two contradictory statements can't both be true. It can't happen. Jesus can't be God, but then not be God. So someone who says that all religions teach the same thing, that's just a lie. 
That's just a lie. It sounds really nice, but it's a lie. The next statement. Each religion sees part of spiritual truth, but none can see the whole truth. You may have heard this before, that each one sees just a glimpse of the real truth, but they can't see the full truth. And what people will do is they'll use this analogy. They use an analogy of, um, of this big elephant and like four or five blind men, right? Have you heard this before? Maybe not. They use the analogy that there's like this big elephant and these five blind men. Like each one is, like one is touching the trunk, one is touching the side of the elephant, one is uh, touching the ear, one's around the, um, like wrapped around the, like the big hoof, I guess. Um, one's under the tail, we hope not, but he's under the tail. Um, so, so there's these five guys touching this elephant, and they're all blind. So each one tries to describe in their blindness what the elephant is like. So the one who's around the, the leg says, you know, the elephant's like a, like a tree. It's big like a trunk, like a tree trunk, you know, not the actual elephant trunk. Someone else says that, you know, the elephant's kind of like a snake, kind of like the, the way the trunk is shaped. Someone else says, no, the elephant is, is real floppy because they're touching the ear. Someone else says, no, the elephant is big and broad and flat because they're touching the side. And the people that say this statement will use this elephant analogy to say, you see, just like that, religions all see part of the reality, but they don't see the full truth. But here's the problem with that statement. Listen to me. The problem with that statement is that the person that's using the analogy claims to see the complete truth themselves. Something they just claimed that no religion has. Make sense? That person is claiming to have access to all truth and be able to see clearly and see, there's an elephant in the room and, and everyone's touching it and everyone's, you guys are blind down here, but I see clearly up here. They're making a statement that this is what ultimate reality is. Something they claim no other religion has. Alright? Next statement. Religion should, be, should never influence public policy. Religion should be kept private. This is really big, of course, in politics and, and things like that today where people say things like, you shouldn't let your individual personal convictions influence how you perform your job as a politician. You've heard that a hundred times in debates, right? So some people think it's possible to leave religion at the door when we talk about public policy, okay? Now, to show you that this is really impossible to do, I want to demonstrate this to you. We're going to divide the room in half. We're going to say uh, this side over here, you're one side. This side over here, you're the other side, okay? Um, I'm going to declare that this side over here, you guys are atheists, all of you, all right? You're atheists. Over here on this side, you guys are, are Christians. Everybody over here is a Christian, okay? Whether you are or you're not, you're you now, right? For, for now, you are, okay? So here's your question. Here's your question. Answer this question at your tables. Why should we feed the poor? All right? Answer from a Christian point of view over here. Why we should feed the poor? Over here, if you're an atheist, why we should feed the poor from an atheist perspective? It means you can't talk about God. You can't talk about why we should do it because God told us to. God doesn't exist in your world, okay? So go ahead and discuss for a few moments.
to hear some feedback, first from the atheists in the room. Uh, I want to hear from my atheists, um, what good reasons can you come up with as to why we should feed the poor if there is no God? Yes, the stable. Okay. So he said the golden rule, if you were hungry, you'd probably want someone else to help you out. So you should do it because that's how you'd feel. Alright? Alright? Alright, next person. Yes. You want <laughs> You would feed them so you can keep the gene pool large to help natural selection. Okay. That sounds so scientific. Yes. To help make world peace. To help make world peace, okay? I guess you're saying that if they're hungry, they're going to fight for food and you want to keep the peace. All right, yes. Brittany. Okay, Brittany said they look hungry. What more reason do you need, right? All right, anyone else? Anyone else? Going once, twice. Okay. All right, let's hear from the Christians. Uh, Yes, Matt. Okay, so in Scripture it says, treat others more important than yourself. This is like the all the stock church answers. Alec, because Buddha told you to, okay? And plus Buddha, Buddha is fat, and he ate well, so I should eat well as well. Yes, Kaylin. Okay, so Jesus said the words, do unto... What did you say exactly? What's the exact verse, the exact quote? Do unto these as if you're doing it unto me. Right. Right. Number one goal is to serve Jesus by serving other people. What else? Yes. What's that? Okay, the Christian faith, listen up, this is a good one. The Christian faith, when you're a Christian, you're in a family, another family, and we feed our family. That's an excellent way of looking at your your brothers and sisters in Christ, okay? So before we wrap, I want to say a couple things about this. Listen up. Listen up. You see, it's hard to justify why we should feed the poor if there is no God. It's hard to justify that. And I would even say, even the reasons they come up with are still rooted in faith. Right? Even the golden rule, which by the way, the golden rule is actually in the Bible. Um, the golden rule of do to someone else you have them do unto you is this idea that I should love other people. But if there is no God and survival of the fittest, then why should you love, why should you love someone else before you love yourself? Why should you? Right? So whatever you come up with, even as an atheist, it's still rooted in some kind of faith, some kind of belief system. Right? So here's the point. Everyone has faith. Everyone does. Not always a saving faith in Jesus, but everyone's belief system is rooted in faith. Even people's doubts are rooted in faith. Now, what I want you to know this morning, there's a, uh, there's a guy that I see at the gym quite a bit. He's a real nice guy. He's not a Christian yet. But we talk a lot, and we haven't really had a real explicit conversation about salvation and really about uh, 
about the, the gospel yet, but I can tell that that's coming. And um, this is a guy, his name is Wesley. And um, I talked to him quite a bit, and he, he knows I'm a pastor, and he says things to me like, you know, you're a religious guy, or you're a person of faith. And he refers to me like I'm this person of faith, and I'm this religious person, and he's not. And I would say the exact opposite, that he actually is a person of faith. Not faith in Christ yet, but he's living out his life based on some things, based on some beliefs that he can't prove. And that's a place of faith. It's not faith in the right thing yet. My prayer is that he puts his faith in Jesus eventually. But my point is that everyone has faith. Some just have it in the wrong thing. Now what's interesting is this guy, I saw him recently, and he had this big cast on his arm. And he told me he chopped his two fingers off in a table saw accident. And I said, he said they reattached them. And I said, who did your surgery? And he said, Bob Weber. And I said, I know Dr. Weber. And he goes, really? And he goes, you know what? He goes, I can tell that he's also a man of faith. And I said, well, actually he is. He's a friend of mine. And so there's a guy in temple right now that I want you to be praying for who was missing two fingers. And they got reattached. And my prayer is that we can eventually lead him to Christ. Lead him to faith in Christ. And so as we close out today, I want you to know that if you're someone who has doubts, if you're someone who the question we raised today is one that you struggle with, my prayer is that, that you'll put your faith in Jesus. That you'll listen to John fourteen six, and when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, you would believe that. And in faith, you would step out and put your faith and trust in Him. Because let me tell you, if you haven't, listen up, listen to me. If you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus yet, then you are putting your faith in something else. Because everyone has faith. Everyone has faith. I'm going to pray for you. God, I pray that you would just open up our hearts this morning. I pray that anyone here today that does not know you, they would put their faith or trust in you. They want to start following you with their life. They want to be fed from your word. God, I pray that you would just help us to uh, be living out of faith that, that expresses itself to other people. You would help us to be people that give a defense for the faith, but not one that is belligerent, not one that is um, mean-spirited. God, go with us this week. We pray this in your name. Amen. There's going to be a G Group Leaders meeting just after the service, and we're meeting in here for our, uh, our leaders meeting today.